Mike's Video Game Podcast. I miss you, Mike. Hello, and welcome to Mike's Video Game Podcast. I'm Mike Ag. And I'm Mike Wu. And uh, welcome to episode 22. Looked it up ahead of time, so I <laughs> knew this time. The big 2-2. That's right. You know what? And actually, before we get started, I do want to say also that you can check out our website, uh, mikesvideogamepodcast.com, or follow us on Twitter, mikesvgp, or at mikesvgp. Nice. It only took us us. 22 episodes, (laughs) but we finally got there. Right. (laughs) We're almost like a real podcast now. Right. I mean, I like the fact that this is episode 22 because there's a lot of like sequels uh, that have been announced recently, and I like that uh, we're not just a sequel. We are... uh, we're twice a sequel. We're two and two, right? That's, That's how right. math works, I assume, right? As For a non The palindromic episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how you been, Mike? Uh, not too bad. Enjoying uh, the first day of summer and um, have, haven't been traveling nearly as much as before. Just um, uh, getting my groove down, uh, living in this new place and uh, enjoying life. How about yourself? Not too bad. Just, uh, yeah, the last time we recorded, actually, I'd just gotten back from Shanghai. So just been feverishly working towards our next big event, which is Unite uh, in uh, Amsterdam, which is next week. So just getting ready for that and, uh, you know, just living the dream, as it were. That's cool. I I have noticed some people on my uh, uh, Facebook wall, uh, besides your, I mean, you haven't, uh, that I've noticed specifically written about that, but I have seen people talking about um, going there. So I think you're going to be meeting up with some people that uh, I used to work with. Um, so that'll be cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, the Unite uh, Unite Europe is always a really good show. So really excited for that. Pulls kind of a, a different crowd, maybe a more jovial crowd. Uh, <laughs> great, you know, yeah. the Unite uh, America is always a super great one as well. But uh, uh, them them Europeans, man, they uh, <laughs> we have some fun. So it's going to be a good one. Right. So looking forward to that. You know how to, to enjoy life in Europe. I mean, exactly. That, damn that's socialist. what they. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's what they're known for, right? Just uh, the great food and parties and, and yeah. whatever. Right. Uh, I actually don't know if that's true. I'm just stereotyping at this point. <laughs> uh, so speaking of events, I'll just segue nicely into mm-hmm. what we're talking about this episode, uh, E3. Right. Yeah, a lot yeah. of big news coming out of E3. Well, I guess big news is relative, relative to maybe the mm-hmm. month before. But in my personal opinion, E3 was a little um, soft on things that were unexpected and surprising. Um, I don't know how, what did you think overall? Yeah. I mean, it, obviously there's always a few things that are like, Oh, I knew this thing was coming, but I didn't know it was that or, Uh or that's a new little thing or addition or twist or whatever. But you know, it's to be expected as, as the industry, as the industry is matures that there's gonna be less super surprises as we sort of figure out the formats of things and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't really paying attention to a lot of the news leading into it. So I was, I wouldn't say surprised, but I was uh, on a few things like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, and then a lot of the other stuff, yeah, we kind of knew was coming and everything. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned about as the thing um, uh, that is E3 matures and comes into its own. It's actually been going through uh, a format change as of recently. Like this year, for example, was the first year that uh, it was open to the general public. Um, mm-hmm. I think they may have allocated like a certain percentage of tickets were available to the general public uh, so that the attendance could be rather large. In fact, it was rather rather large um, compared to just the uh, years um, just immediately prior, like the two or three years prior to 2017. Yeah, I heard it was like impossible to 
to really get in the line for anything. Yeah, or, that's what I've. A lot of people were, were saying like it's worse than like going to Disney World without like um, a fast pass or something like that. And it's like all I want to do is play a video game for five minutes and I can't. Um, mm-hmm. Which reminds me of the critique that large publishers and platform holders were giving the ESA. The, those, that's the organization that puts together E3 every year. Uh, it was like in the mid 2000s. Um, when platform holders in particular were saying like, uh, we have to host such large pavilions and floor spaces for all these people who have no impact or no direct impact, at least on our ability to market um, and sell our product to retailers and to the media. Yeah, so, no return on investment. Yeah, that, and that's yeah, back when the, E3 stopped being open to the public. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was like 2006. They said, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to make this an industry-only event. And by industry-only, we mean like by invitation-only. And mm-hmm. so they went from like a 50,000, 60,000 a year crowd to like a 5,000 a year crowd. Right. And of course, now if you're a retailer and you walk into like this really uh, small uh, kind of conference – you have a hard time gauging the buzz. Like, what's really going to sell? Am I really this confident that I'm going to go back to my corporate headquarters and say, we're ready to order 2 million units of this and we're going to pay for ad space and all this other stuff um, in order to get a better price or to get like an exclusive for this product? Like, it was really not um, that great. Also, since the attendance was so low, um, platform holders were like, uh, why am I putting... I still have a certain amount of cost that has to go into going to this thing but if the attendance is going to be so low it's not worth it really so i think they had to reopen it back up but then it re-invites all these old problems which of if the entire public is is available then how do i um, reach uh the audience that i intend uh, intended to to reach but um, sure but that but what's interesting to me is like um when i was a kid you hear about E3, like, wow, that's so... And actually, it was before E3. Like, oh, God, I'm really old. This is like CES, Consumer <laughs> Electronics Show. It's like they Vegas. still do. Yeah, they, they still do it. It's like in Vegas, right? And so Atari mm-hmm. and Coleco and Commodore. <clears throat> yep. Apple would be at this thing, right? But the software, the games that you were interested in, they didn't have a presence on the main convention floor. You had to go to, like, this crazy tent or software. Um, or know it, somebody. Yeah, it was like where hobbyist <clears throat> stuff would be or niche stuff. Niches like adult entertainment and video games were in mm-hmm. this tent. <laughs> so so the ESA was like, well, we're kind of getting big and we're becoming a major uh, medium here. I don't think we want to be in the porn tent anymore. So that's when they started <laughs> E3, right? And so it's a very business focus. It's not a developer focused thing like GC. No. It's not a fan celebratory focused thing like PAX. It's a business like we want to get our product in front of the retailers uh, well, in a way the, it's, it's more yeah in a way it's more like gdc than it is like a consumer level show right mm-hmm. but it's it's really aimed at at marketing and press it's like yeah. a dice i don't know if you're familiar with dice yeah that's the uh, european convention well, no, I mean, well there might be one in europe but uh, there's also a yearly one in vegas oh okay and that that's again you're very business oriented um, you know, they they don't have much of a show floor. It's just all about, you know, yeah. I'm getting thinking, stuff done kind I'm of thing. I'm thinking of Gamescom in uh, yes. Cologne, Germany, yep. right? Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Um, yeah. So I think uh, we're in this strange uh, time in E3's history where it's trying to serve that old purpose of making sure that games uh, have a mature and dedicated 
uh, way of addressing uh, retailers and the uh, press. But in a world where a lot of the hype comes from internet buzz and the uh, general fan base, and you're looking at uh, companies reporting that uh, like upwards of 40% now of their sales are coming from digital marketplaces, mm-hmm. not from traditional retailers. So is it as important to convince um, the buyer from Walmart to uh, make uh, your game, the game that appears on all the ads for um, Black Friday, when so much of your sales are now coming from your dedicated storefront or from um, Microsoft's App Store or whatever? So it's uh, it's uh, I don't know if uh, E3 can continue um, as a business-focused uh, um, convention uh, in the long run. Well, you know, I, I think uh, it, I think it's a little bit half and half, right? You can't you can't forsake one for the other. They're both so very important to any monetization strategy. But um, I think more than you know, and I can't speak traditionally to the purpose, the actual mission statement of E three, but. The thing in my mind E3 has always been about has not been so much the we need to convince retailers to carry this product or promote this product or whatever, but to really, really build up that rabid fan base, mm-hmm. whether it be through uh, showing the press something and then having the press go talk about it or whatever, or you know having you know non-press people come in. There's really no better way to really drum up excitement um, – than with your your general consumer, right? So, like, if I go, if I bring a bunch of press people and I show them something, and they think they're just blown away, and they go and they write about it, yeah, that's great, and, and people are going to be like super rabid about it already, whatever. But if you're your your Joe Schmo consumer, if you're general attendee, non press person, they go and they just say, "Oh man, I saw this thing, and it was phenomenal," right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not paid to talk about games. There's no, you know, questioning. Know okay, but maybe why are they saying that or whatever? Uh, there's something kind of you know rabid about that exclusivity, mm-hmm. like oh I want to be there, and then oh you got to see that, oh man, yeah. now I can't wait. And right. uh, that really, I think, I think that has a huge part to do with the actual then sales later. So to me, I mean, yeah, there's the the boring business stuff, but I tend to ignore that part of life, uh, and instead, you know, it. A lot of it is about just drumming up that that insane level of anticipation. Mm-hmm. No, I don't disagree with the the fact that you have to get consumers excited, and that's part of the purpose of E three. Um, I think the part that is hidden from most of us um, is how manipulated we are by marketing, um, oh, specifically yeah. the marketing team. Like you, like we all have this impression of E three being exactly what you just described. It is the one place where we as gamers. Uh, can be can be exposed <laughs> to everything all at once and with so much noise and enthusiasm. It's like in in truth, it's all about the inside of that booth. There's that twenty by twelve uh, foot space inside of the booth and that sh- at the show floor where you're brought in and you're given a bottle of water and you talk the business like, hey, I'm seeing what's going on out there. People are excited. Let's talk about how we really keep this momentum going. Uh, what's your plan for continuing the E3 buzz uh, six months months from now, one month before release, and then uh, you know release, and then two weeks uh, post release? Okay, this is what we're willing to do. Okay, well, 
I'm willing to do this. Okay, let's negotiate back and forth. And well, if I'm going to do all this for you, I need this back. Okay, we're really willing to do this. We're willing to do that. That's what E3 really is all about or was all about. And now with digital sales, now with it being open to the public, I think you're right that maybe this um, this idea of it's not about the press. Well, I mean, it is still about the press, but it's mm-hmm. but so much more now of our effort is in creating and then sustaining the organic grassroots um, buzz that uh, the fan base can create for us because we are now in a post retailer is all economy. It is now way easier to directly address the consumer. So we now have to engage them as part of our uh, conference. So, and, and to that, to that effect, you know, I wouldn't say that so that's kind of going away with the digital storefronts or whatever or lessening, right? Mm-hmm. To me, and, and from what I see, that actually evolves, right? Mm. And so the conversations are still happening there. That it's still very important for those those business type meetings to see the excitement and all that. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let people in on a little secret here. Maybe I oh. maybe I shouldn't. I don't I don't know. But uh, but the conversation is evolving. To the point where, so I'm I'm making this amazing game, right? Mm-hmm. And it used to be about, okay, I'm trying to attract retailers. I'm trying to attract, you know, these types of marketing services, the people that are going to benefit me, and I'm going to work at a deal where I can, you know, pay them or do this or work out some form of a contract. You know, mm-hmm. that, your, your traditional in your mind sort of the business that happens. Mm-hmm. But what's kind of happening now is that I'm building this product. I'm attracting this rabid fan base, mm-hmm. right? Million plus players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those players are not the most valuable part anymore, right? Or the money they give me, they're buying my game, mm-hmm. right? It is value. Don't get me wrong, right? It is ultimately about the player and, and mm-hmm. all that. But they also become, the players become something I can sell to you, mm-hmm. right? Right, right? So I'm right. still having those meetings, but instead of me saying, what what can I get out of you, businessman, retailer, mm-hmm. whatever? They're saying, "What do you want from me? What, what will you give me mm-hmm. so that I give my give access to my player base?" Right, right. You know, you want me to put this maybe this little ad somewhere hidden in my yeah. game, or as part of the storefront, or a partnership. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you're paying me now because you want your name associated with my title because I have. 2 million people who love my title or right. whatever, right? Interesting. So th- those conversations evolve to the point where, I mean, and, and the fact of the matter is, is, is people have to maybe come to realize this, and it's not a bit necessary, you know, in my mind anyway, I don't, I don't particularly care. I don't think it's a bad thing. The the players, the consumers are also right. a product, right. right? And that's just the, the truth of it. And so when I buy Call of Duty, when I buy this, that, or Destiny or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I am a consumer of this product, but... You know, depending on the company, I, I can't speak to anyone's business practice or whatever. I'm also potentially a product myself. Right. Right. That that companies can use to get even more money out of a game. I mean, it makes total sense. If you think about we only have so much time in a day. And if I spend some of it browsing the web, like, say, using Google, um, then I I am a product that Google can sell to a user base saying, well, I, you can advertise to people who are browsing the web using my search engine. Or yep. if I'm on Facebook, same thing. And or the value if, of your data. Right, yeah. And if I am a user of a game, and let's face it, if I'm playing games, sometimes you're on that game 
for hours on end. You know how valuable that is? And it seems mm-hmm. like, well, this has been a known thing for a while. But now uh, I think what you're alluding to is that maybe that is a very big part of the conversation that is taking place behind uh, closed doors now. Um, it's not just about selling a game, but um, about the monetization or access to a user base. Um, yeah, that Absolutely. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a commodity. Yeah. So, you know, the, these conversations, they, they continue, right? It's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting evolution. And, you know, a lot of people might listen to that and be like, oh, what? This sounds evil or wrong or, or mm-hmm. whatever. I, I don't think it's anything like that, honestly. I, I think it, I mean, it ultimately has a, a complete value in that, uh, I mean, d- don't get me wrong. No one's selling your personal information or anything like that. I don't, I don't mean it to come across that <laughs> way. I just mean like they can, you know, just, just to be the, the, the data alone of saying, Hey, the, you know, uh, in this p- region of the world, this many people play games at this time of day on the, on Wednesday. Even that data is insanely valuable. Uh-huh. You know, there's nothing specific to you in it. It's just <laughs> that sort of thing. And so that that value g- feeds back into the companies. It gives them that safety net to allow them to develop maybe riskier, more artsy, more new, different types of games. So it's ultimately a good thing. Um, it's just the evolution of the industry, right? Um, and it, it, it kind of changes how products are made and kind of goes along with this whole, you know, software as a service and the longevity and maintenance cycles of games. It just keep people playing longer and, and there's value out of the whole interaction all the way around, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's daunting to me a little bit as someone who is exploring uh, indie development to, to realize uh, I'm not just making a game. I'm making a world-class piece of network software that has all these mm-hmm. features that I have no idea how to create on my own. But that's where middleware and things like Unity and Unreal come in, I guess, and, and help mm-hmm. us through. But, uh, well, to take it a step further, maybe add to the dauntingness of it, mm-hmm. more importantly than even that is you're building an experience that will be a part of someone's life. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And, and, a, and hopefully a large part of someone's life. And so there's, there's in and of itself a little bit of uh, responsibility in that too. So yeah, anyway, right. <laughs> it, it's all interesting. No longer an act of self-expression, but uh, yeah, we're creating lifestyle. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, pieces of artifacts of culture or something weird like that. But, uh, you know, so I'm I'm going to tangent real quick here just because you said that. And I just feel like talking about something. So I just finished a game called the witness by Jonathan blow. I know I'm Mm -hmm. I'm like way behind the the, the curve, you know, everyone played like right when it came out, but I waited because me and my wife wanted to play it together and we finally had the chance to. So, um, Really, have you have you played it? No, but I I've heard that it's maddening, and, and I'm, it's it's so we <laughs> we we beat the whole game. We didn't look did. anything up, yeah, right. Uh, so we got all like, well, I can't say all. I don't know without looking it up if mm-hmm. I got all of them. But I got many many bonus puzzles and little secrets and stuff like that. So um, it's uh, it was incredibly impressive. Had a pretty cool message and meaning to it, and. Uh, yeah, it was really awesome. So I guess that that's a plug for anyone listening. Check it out. I'm not affiliated in any way, shape, or form with Jonathan Blow or that game. I just played it and thought, this is uh, this is your madding is one of them. <laughs> some of the some of the puzzles you're just like the how no it can't possibly happen, and then you sleep on it and come back and be like, oh that's easy, and and that's kind of the purpose of the game, the message behind the game and whatever. And I don't want to spoil too much, but um. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, that's you, my tangent. Check it play, out. But did you, you get it via Steam? I assume. 
I did. Yeah, okay. I got it from Humble Bundle at some okay. point. Uh, maybe I don't know. I have so many games from Humble Bundle. It's, yeah, it's hard to even. Is, yeah, it's it's daunting. The, the backlog is real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, just wanted to throw that in there because you were talking about culture and, and stuff like that. That uh, we just finished that, so it's fresh on my brain. So yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. Anyway, worth checking out. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. So. I don't know if we finished talking about the purpose of E3 or whatever, but you want to move on to talking about some of the announcements and stuff, or you want to keep talking about E3 no, in general? No, let's you know let's move on to the things that uh, you read about or saw that excited you. In particular, I'm I was hoping to see uh, more new IP and and see what mm-hmm. was coming down the pipe and have that like kind of ignite my imagination and help me think about where the industry might be moving uh, in the moving forward. Um, I don't know if you looked at it with that same kind of eye. Uh, what caught your attention? You know, I was um, I was surprised by the number of sort of remakes, homages, sequels. Um, not a ton of new IP stuff, I would say, um, unless there's some that I I, I kind of missed. But uh, I did enjoy, you know, finally hearing more about the. Microsoft Scorpio, uh, which is the Xbox One X, which is, <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, and, and so what, what kind of surprised me, I guess, uh, I, I tried to stay away from um, too much of the rumor mill, uh-huh. right? I, I talk a, a, a little bit, a decent amount with the Microsoft folks. Uh, and so I knew some things, but again, I try not to read too much about it, lest I want to talk about it and accidentally say something I'm not supposed to or whatever. So I just try to stay away from the whole topic. But um, I I don't know why in my mind, I was thinking that this was going to be like the new gen, right? The mm-hmm. next gen, right? Mm-hmm. That, that I was like, okay, it feels like it's been an adequate period of time. Maybe it's time for next gen now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the Microsoft One coming out was four jobs ago. And so I'm just like, oh, yeah, that feels like a, a, a decent amount of time. But yeah. uh, but in reality, this is not a new new generation. It's just it's, – it's basically like the PlayStation 4 Pro, yeah. right, where it's a, it's a mid-generation – Stopgap, mm-hmm. which seems to me, it, to me, it seems kind of ironic. It to me, it's it, or a little silly. It almost seems like Sony and Microsoft are just unwilling to admit that it's a next gen, right? <laughs> like, oh, is this next gen? I don't know. Microsoft said they weren't ready, so let's just wait for them, or you know, let's just I don't know. I don't want to put all yeah. the effort into marketing for next gen. Let's uh-huh. just call it. Let's just call it this gen point five or, or or whatever, you know. It's you know never before have we had these middle generation. Well, that's not true. Uh, we had like a few different ones that have kind of failed or been weird in the past, like with Sega and everything. But uh, it just it seems kind of odd that that they're they're kind of basically reinventing this platform with this new hardware and this new capabilities and all that stuff. Why not just make it a next? Why not just call that next gen? I, I don't know what the delineation is, just because this one hasn't run its course. Do you think it might? For me, at least, this is the distinction that they are putting a line in the sand saying the idea of you leave that old hardware and that old um, user interface or ecosystem behind and that library behind ends. And we are now in a world where uh, we can update the hardware, but just like your PC, you're not giving up everything um, by moving uh, to an upgrade. That all well, the old software that you purchased yeah. is still going to run. It's still an Xbox One. That that that's good, 
from uh-huh. a consumer and very problematic from a developer. So I'm, you know, I'm reading about the Xbox mm-hmm. One, all this new hardware, whatever. And, you know, then they say, you know, but it's not next generation. Mm-hmm. So any, you know, new Xbox One game will support a regular Xbox mm-hmm. One or an Xbox One X. You don't have mm-hmm. to upgrade. Right. Which, yeah, as a consumer, fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. As a developer, that means I effectively have to develop for two pieces of target hardware, mm-hmm. right? Which the point of a console is to not have to do that, right. right? The point of a console is I know what the hardware is. I'm developing to that hardware. I'm testing against that hardware. I'm benchmarking to that hardware. Now you're telling me that even when it comes to like Xbox One, I have to have two versions, two different scales of t- uh, texture resolution, two mm-hmm. different types of shaders, two different. And it's like, well, why Why am I doing that? Right. Is it that th- does that seem worth it? I don't, I don't think it does, you know, and that becomes – Problematic, And then you talk about, okay, the consoles keep evolving. You know, you don't have to – it's not a new library of software. It's all the same library of software. You're basically talking about PC game development at uh-huh. that point. Yep. And the point of the console is to have a – you can get more out of that target hardware because you can aim mm-hmm. right at it. It's right. kind of like how uh, Apple software is always supposedly so stable and so – because they have basically one set of hardware that yeah. they have to hit. Right. Right? This is the same concept. So as a developer, uh, that that makes things harder for yeah. sure. Right. Or you make the, the cop-out decision, which is there is some extra effort in, for example, that, yes, I am going to author in high res and then either – have a, uh, you know, a tool that exports a lower res version for the standard Xbox One, um, or we are going to, ex- you know, as artists or as content creators, um, create lower resolution versions specifically for one platform or the other. Um, that's the extra work. The other uh, adjustment is I can produce a uh, a game that has, say, uh, the, uh, a high number of NPCs due to the higher memory uh, capacity and uh, and uh, just processing power of the X, um, or I can just let it be higher resolution, but it's the same th- exact encounter that you'd have on the standard box. Um, so if the standard box can support eight characters on screen currently, that's what you're going to see on the Xbox One X. Uh, it's just at a higher resolution. So in that sense, it's like, yeah, exactly what you're like. I'm not optimizing for that specific platform. I'm it's just an up-resed version of an Xbox One, but I have the power to do something so much cooler. And so mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to wait until there's the Xbox One X X. And then they're gonna make full use of the Xbox One X, because by then the Xbox One will be so old that no one cares about it. Um But at that point they'll just launch the next generation. Yeah, and so you believe that there is still going to be another generation. I I think the console generations are important. Okay. Because unless you draw the mm-hmm. line in the sand and say mm-hmm. this is my hardware, mm-hmm. right? It's a lot harder for devs to target it. Yes. Right? And and has a create another in addition to the technical problems, a new um hardware cycle, like a new generation has this other uh, benefit that's hugely important. It means a whole bunch of people, due to the excitement, are going to upgrade all at the same time. And they're going to want to reason a special, unique, novel reason why they invested in this new platform. And that's when you introduce new IP. That's when you can take a new risk. That's when people mm-hmm. are open to it. And as you noted, even though we now have the the PlayStation 
4 Pro and we have the Xbox Xbox One X, we didn't see that many new IPs announced. We are seeing a handful of exciting things or maybe they're reasonably right. exciting things. Right. I'd be, I'd be curious to go and look at the PlayStation 4 Pro sales, you know, mm. to see it, – because it's not like a new generation. People don't have a need to, to upgrade. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know. You know, yeah, I agree. Like we were all so excited to get high def tef- television uh, back in the mid two thousands, so that when uh, an Xbox three hundred and sixty became the first thing that could actually consistently show you high def content. I mean, like mm-hmm. TV only had like you know maybe a couple of channels or a couple of sports broadcasts were be in HD, but your games could always be in HD. And so it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it was a reason to buy that hardware. Now with four K, I've been seeing a way slower adoption rate and so people are less prone to like oh i've got to have 4k gaming Um, i mean really the jump from standard definition to high definition Mm -hmm. was a greater jump than high definition to 4k even though technically 4k has even more pixels and whatever than but just the amount of difference was gigantic you know and a lot of people you know they lament these these console generation cycles because the lack of backwards compatibility i'm Mm going to play my old games Mm -hmm. right I get that, but I also don't get that because mm-hmm. I played those games. They're great, but I have no shortage of games to play. It's not like I've ever <laughs> right. sat around on a Saturday uh-huh. night and went, man, yeah. there's just nothing to play. I <laughs> right. wish I could go back and play X, right? Mm-hmm. I have a huge Steam library. I've got a stack of of games uh, still for the Xbox that I haven't even pulled out of the shrink wrap yet that I need mm-hmm. to play. Like, uh, you know, maybe I'm in the minority on that one because I have just a ton of games. But there's there just doesn't ever seem to be a shortage of games. I don't think it's a problem. The lack of backwards compatibility, in my mind, isn't a problem. Because what generally happens is this, and this has been my experience anyway. Mm-hmm. I get some backwards compatibility or I go and get an old system just to play this one game again. Mm-hmm. I load the game up. I'm playing it for about 10 minutes. I'm like, man, this game kind of sucks now. Uh-huh. Right. Right? It was great then, but I've evolved as a gamer. The control schemes was unrefined for the time. Mm-hmm. The graphics obviously were lower quality. And I'm like, okay, that was a fun little trip down memory lane back to current gen. And so I don't I don't see it. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to that. I don't yeah, know. I think, I'm not I a particularly th- yeah. uh, uh, nostalgic person. So, yeah, well, maybe I, I just don't care. People who listen to this pro- podcast, you and I, aren't typical – um, consumers, right? I mean, yeah, we're, they're much we're more pro- sophisticated. <laughs> no, like, uh, well, actually, we're the sophisticated <laughs> ones, right? We're the, I mean, not to toot our horns, I'm saying, like, ha ha, we're the sophisticated ones, and that we're the ones that are willing to keep an old piece of hardware around. We're the ones who, for us, that uh, we're not trying to really. It's not hard for us to justify the the purchase of new hardware. Whereas for a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people, it's like, really? Hundreds of dollars for something that is not essential to living my life or for my family's well-being? How do I justify that? Um, well, maybe if I can trade in all the old the old piece of equipment and keep the library, I can buy the one game that Johnny really wants. But we still have the full library, so he's not constantly clamoring for a whole new library. Um, but... Given that there's no backward compatibility, if I trade away the old machine so that I can afford the new machine, I'm also giving up all that software. And I spent a lot of money. That's five Christmases of gifts 
for little Johnny that just go away. How do I justify that? And so I think for a lot of people, that is a really important um, aspect of of uh, sure uh, hardware purchase nowadays. Now, a couple of things I've noticed. So first uh-huh. off, one, that story was really depressing just now. <laughs> uh, two, the depressing little child in all of your stories is always named Johnny. I don't know if you <laughs> right. know that. Yeah, no, I have <laughs> a spatial bias because you know Johnny's a little white kid, right? He yeah. is not. He's not a little nerdy Asian kid who – Raised know, on a farm. Yeah, oh, John, little and, Johnny. Yeah. Mom and dad <laughs> wouldn't, the buy chickens. Him, wouldn't buy an Atari <laughs> and he had to settle for an Apple IIe. I'm not talking about him. No, no. That guy is all right. Not little Michael Wu. <laughs> <laughs> little Johnny Wu. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. That guy's a real person. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, he's a Johnny Wu, if you're listening right now. John Wu, the uh, film director. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Different spelling, but yeah, I guess, I guess you're – I was just reading about him anyway earlier because I was reading about the new um, God of War. But uh, I had a third point. I don't remember what it was now, but no, I, I see that. Hardware. It's about and, hardware. It's about bad backwards compatibility. You both see I, it and don't see it. Um, it's it's, um, it's I mean, nice. You and I did spend an entire podcast episode going back into our childhood and trying to play Pirates. Uh, and I agree with you. Like with it emulator it wasn't quite the same experience it was pretty frustrating it would have been easier just to have the original hardware but (laughs) for anyone who's actually gone back and played old games you're like god this is terrible Mm -hmm. compared to what my imagination of the experience was so it is really for me that's actually an interesting uh personal experience so like everybody should try that like imagine your favorite game from 15 years ago find a way to play it you will agree. you will you, you will, will understand the statement you can't go home again <laughs> right. basically your your memory is just that it's a memory you can't step in the same river twice and you can't enjoy old games uh that's not true i mean there are a lot of old games that are still that a lot said, of fun i love going to youtube and looking up all those old games from my childhood i don't want to play them anymore i just want to see someone playing them well because i can't play those things like i don't have the patience for these pixel perfect jumps and all that other frustration but i uh i enjoy beating the tar out of my kids in uh killer (laughs) instinct on the super nintendo uh quite often actually uh that game is still super fun (laughs) though it looks like garbage on an an hd tv but uh that's to be expected um yeah, so uh, yeah, the, the the console stuff was interesting, and you know Microsoft is doing its thing. Microsoft is on a very clear path; has been for a while now. Mm-hmm. This this merger of the Windows and universe, right? Mm-hmm. right? Phones becoming computers, computers becoming consoles, consoles becoming computers and phones, and mm-hmm. uh, you know eventually, I mean, the, it's all going to be very similar. Play games on all the different platforms yeah. or all of the different Microsoft owned platforms, mm-hmm. you know, all at the same time with, you know, so it's, it's an interesting trajectory. And I see that, you know, even more and more with, with the Microsoft consoles and stuff like that. So the, the future, I've always been a Microsoft fanboy. Um, you know, PlayStation has been great and all that, but I've always just said PlayStation, all it does is, you know, plays really good games and mm-hmm. Microsoft, does well with that too but it also just does all these other weird things that mm-hmm. i ultimately end up never really using but are still kind of cool and <laughs> and i'm always a big fan of that so i like seeing the the, the weird little stuff they come up with and because uh, it just trickles into so much uh, uh you know your everyday life and all these other areas so um, right. yeah no, it'll be interesting to see what happens yeah point taken i do appreciate that microsoft more consistently has tried to um innovate now sometimes not in a way that is uh, putting the end user 
first in their priorities. Sure. But but generally speaking, yes, they're always trying something new, but they often don't push it hard enough um, or communicate to us in a way that helps us understand like why we want that thing. Like, Could I, you imagine if the company had Microsoft's you know, money and innovation and Nintendo's resolve to stick with it? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Could you imagine the thing? You know what? I I, I imagine that I would be controlling my PC with Connect like cameras so that all I had to do was gesture like I was in Minority Report and I'd be playing games and stuff and I wouldn't have a carpal tunnel syndrome from, you know, keyboard and mouse for eight hours in a row. But no. That's thinking small. Your dogs would walk in the room and start controlling (laughs) your computer and loading up their favorite doggy videos and stuff. That's true. Nintendo (laughs) and Microsoft were to merge. I think we just started a really big rumor. Yeah, post E3, Microsoft and Nintendo right. got into a closed room. They discussed their Nintendo discussed how many users they had. Microsoft wanted to buy them, and so they. And they in two did years, we'll deal. all be on the Matrix and Mars. Yeah, and yeah, telepathy, and yep, that's the beginning of all of it. Yeah, were there we, any IPs that were announced about uh, being uh, in VR in Mars? There probably could have been. We missed it because there were could a, lot have been. Of, a lot of speaking, announcements. <laughs> speaking of that, though, bringing it back to sort of E3 announcements uh-huh. and stuff like that, so. Uh, Lucky's Tale, which was like kind of that. Oh, you 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 have a VR headset, you've got to play Lucky's mm-hmm. Tale, right? Yeah, it was kind of one of the launch whatevers, and it was very fun, nostalgic type um, platformer, very reminiscent of like uh, Mario sixty four, whatever. Um, so they just announced a sequel, Super Lucky's Tale, uh, and it's not a VR title. So mm. it's a it's a console. I believe it's a, an Xbox One exclusive and PC. I believe uh, I I don't I don't want to throw that term exclusive the E word around too yeah. much because uh, I I read it pretty quickly. But um, yeah, so it was interesting to see. You know, usually you see companies that have successful IPs migrate into VR, right? Yeah. But this is yeah. a company that had a very successful VR game uh-huh. now migrating. To something else, right? Which is that kind of the first of its class. So it's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, and you know what? And it really shouldn't be that surprising, even though it is, and because I'm, it surprises me as well. But traditionally, you start in a marketplace that's very small, where the cost of fail- failure isn't that great. It's like, well, it was a mm-hmm. small investment. We knew we were taking a risk, so we didn't bet the farm on this. And then the ones that, hey, actually, this has mass appeal. Why don't we? Uh, develop it in such a way that it can reach a larger audience. Yeah, let's not limit it to people with VR headsets. Let's um, make it for everyone. Um, but I think Lucky's Tale is one of those examples where it's a really strong IP, not necessarily a experiment with the new medium and new control schemes or mm-hmm. whatever. And so that's why um, it's coming over. Um, well, they're one of the few studios who took the VR took it seriously yeah, yeah. and said we're not just going to make a gimmicky vr app yeah. as a money grab we're going to make actually a really good game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that happens to be in vr right uh so i mean if 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 nothing else this is a company who's earned it yeah. right because you know they they didn't produce some vr game that just happened to succeed they produced just a good game right right so I'm curious to – and what's, what'll be neat now is that I can play the second game, you know, with my family, uh-huh. right? right? Where people that are not just having to watch the monitor to uh-huh. see what I'm doing, but we can all just, you know, play uh-huh. together or whatever. That's cool. Uh, did anything else or should I share one of the things that grabbed my attention? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so, let's hear uh, it. Mine's, mine's going to be pretty unsurprising. I think everybody was like, oh, that's uh, big. <laughs> uh, hmm. It's EA BioWare announcing Anthem. They're like a yes. third-person action shooter. Um, Very much felt like tribes. 
Yeah. It felt like tribes to me. <laughs> uh, it felt like a lot of other games really pretty. Um, did you notice how many lush forests were in games that were announced at E3? But I think Anthem's got potential, but it did feel a lot like Destiny. People like forests, man. Yeah, Destiny um, meets Rogue One. Um, Speaking, kind of, oh, that reminds me. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm just okay. I'm cutting your legs off right from sure, underneath sure. you That's on fine. this one. Because I was reading about Destiny 2. Okay. And of course, I've got to bring this up when I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, because you being at Bungie and, and yeah. involved a bit with uh, Destiny 1. I was reading about how no one at Bungie had any idea what the darkness was. <laughs> wait, so they were just like yeah. you know what to be completely uh-huh. honest uh-huh. we didn't do any story around the darkness even in destiny 2 because we still haven't quite figured out what it yeah. is yeah and i'm like really <laughs> really <laughs> so um, if i if i were to theory craft a little uh-huh. bit i'll go conspiracy okay. theorist real uh-huh. quick here yeah. uh, i mean yes it is possible that you know that they never had any concept of what the darkness is mm-hmm. but there's been so much fan theory and kind of little hints and stuff in the first game whatever i almost have to wonder if someone like maybe just guessed it and there was like well now we can't do that and oh, you think that's a possibility that cl- mm-hmm. yeah well you know what do you uh, think? for i mean it's nice that you assume everybody knows what the darkness is um in destiny oh well, actually no you're saying no one knows what it is well i'm saying uh could you explain to uh the listeners <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. In Destiny, there's this thing called the darkness. Can you just give a general context, real quick, as to what you're talking sure. about? So they're not like, so, what the hell am I ta- are they talking about? So in the in, in Destiny, right? So it's uh, the sci-fi futuristic game. You're woken up. You're chosen by the traveler and given mm-hmm. this the the essence of light. You're yeah. basically a zombie. You were dead, and it brought you back. And you're now this guardian, right? Mm-hmm. And so you fight for the light, which mm-hmm. is the traveler. And the light has been running from this evil entity known as the darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all these aliens, like the four different types of alien species, attack Earth trying to destroy the Traveler, and you're trying to save it. And that is destiny, right? Okay. Um, and they always allude to the darkness, this, the darkness, that, whatever. And uh, there's a lot of theory around it. There's these grimoires and, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And, uh, you know, there's a very popular theory um, that – that really well i don't know if i should be talking about this now or if you want to talk about mm-hmm. if you want to talk about it at all uh no i mean i'm fine i'm in so far removed that i have no information that's considered protected i mean i i know nothing um I'm, well, no, no, I'm, yeah yeah i'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to project yeah. for secret right, stuff but right. but just uh if you had any opinions on it but oh, well i so, do have opinions on it that i would say in general uh when i uh, was part of teams that had to create new ip uh if we knew that we were trying for a multi-title uh project something that could last as long as like say 10 years which in the case of destiny that's definitely what they're shooting for uh we wouldn't prescribe too much of what our concepts might be uh you want to create a just carve out a space for potentials um to one one just as a developer it's easier if you're making this thing and like i have some room to flex and i it doesn't this thing isn't necessarily in concrete i can work with the story team to make sure that this particular chapter works and all that kind of groovy stuff um but also yeah to like maybe in five years this idea that we had doesn't make sense um and we and it wouldn't be serving you know our our players um it wouldn't be fulfilling 
their wishes or it wouldn't be thwarting their expectations in an interesting way if we continue down that line. So maybe you're right. Maybe they're like, oh, it's not surprising anymore. So why would we choose that route? Um, you mm-hmm. want, definitely want to surprise your audience. But thankfully, we were flexible in the way we outlined our plans that it could have gone a number of ways. It was open to a number of interpretations. And maybe they would never actually tell you definitively this is the right answer. It's like you know uh, a romantic novel from uh, the 19th century where it's like, well, is this person a ghost or is it or is the or is the main character just insane? Like, I don't Have know. Have you, you read many romantic novels from the 19th century? I'm curious. Uh, in high school, and then we'd ask the teacher, like, what <laughs> really? the, like, yeah, you write, you like, you have to read, you like to write your essay, and you like, and you present this, like, like the story's about this, and your teacher would be like, actually, are you sure? And like, well, yeah, because like it was stupid and it was the, the you know, em, Emily Bronte this and she did that to the character. And she's like, yeah, but how do you know that the, that character isn't just insane? And that they were mad, like, oh, shit. Yeah, maybe that maybe that person didn't even, oh, God, you just, you know. And then you I always hated that, that teacher yeah, because, yeah, yeah, you could say that about anything. Yeah, right. Yeah. What are uh, you having for lunch today? A peanut butter yeah. sandwich. Are you sure? Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, being part of the environment team and running uh, that whole operation, I wasn't privy to... Uh, anything that was going on um, uh, as far as like the story of the darkness and whatnot, you know, honestly, sure. I'm really embarrassed. I did read the the whole short story that inspired the entire game. And I can't remember much of it, except for that. I remember that the travelers being chased by needle triangular shaped ships that were agents of the darkness and, and uh, came to earth and some shit like that. Anyways, um, I wish I could find that story again, but uh, I'm, I'm sure I didn't actually have a physical copy of it. It was just something that we were supposed to read and understand the background. I think that's what the grimoire ended up becoming. Um, gotcha. Uh, I will say, if you are a fan of, of that studio, Bungie, you know that they are obsessed, or at least Jason is obsessed with Viking mythology. So I would study Viking mythology. What is their? What were their spiritual beliefs? Um, that'll probably give you a lot of insight as to why guardians are dead and brought to life and live and die, live and die. And uh, um, yeah, maybe, may, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe the whole game is Valhalla. Yeah, maybe that's the case. Um, maybe there's a way to research that and be like, holy shit, this is just a model for the Viking um, sagas. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm supposed to gain glory and then die and then Ragnarok and then it just happens over again or whatever. Um, I don't know if that's the case. Um, um, no, nope, you just yeah. confirmed it. That's officially what it is. <laughs> um, but you know, I would, yeah. I mean, it goes all the way back to Halo, right? Like you got the 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 armors named um, after you know a Norse mythology and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what is uh, Cortana? No, Cortana is Charlemagne's sword, right? One of the uh, swords. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, it's all Byzantine. It's all obscure references to history. Yeah, we'll have to go back and check out Halo with that uh, with that in mind now. Okay. It it just seemed kind of interesting, you know, with the destiny. I don't know. In you know, you, flexibility is what it is, right? And that, yeah. I agree that's super important. But you know, I think it's too easy to write yourself into very problematic territory if you don't at least have foundational. Um, what I want to say, understanding of who primary characters are and right. sort of end game right. and whatnot. But right. it was just kind of funny because it was like everyone's gonna, everyone was saying the leading up Destiny Two, we're finally gonna know this and that. <laughs> right. Nah, no, nah, not yeah. really. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't read that article that that mentioned that, but it wouldn't. It doesn't surprise me. But I mean, I mean, even George Lucas did it right. Like he didn't know that Luke and Leia were brother sister when he wrote Star Wars. Right. Right. 
That, I don't think so, but <laughs> yeah. I don't really know. Right. <laughs> He was just uh, making up enough. as he went along. Yeah. And so I think it you can't really be too hard on a developer or a studio nope. for not. I'm, I'm gonna be super hard. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm uh so I can, no, that's fine. Yeah. I mean like uh, it just, it's, just working, it's, ref- yeah. it's actually refreshing to hear someone speak with that level of candor. Yeah, right. right? There's like, you know what? Uh, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, all <Yeah>. right, cool. <laughs> I mean like what what was definitively definitively um the flood in halo like who created them why you know um during the creation of the original trilogy uh i was never told i never knew um so it didn't stop us from you know doing what we had to do to make the game so sure the forerunners made them yeah well i mean sure maybe (laughs) i mean that was the theory possibly but it was never definitive you know at the time uh fair enough yeah Yeah. i think that's been since defined but i could be wrong yeah i I think Uh, you're right Okay. All right. So, so well, that anyway, was what game were you talking about before I just oh, hopped was, in there with Destiny? It was Anthem. Anthem, which was like, yes. wow, what's so beautiful. Um, but a little bit... Um, Generic? Indis- yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it doesn't have a distinct signature that I would immediately look at that game and be like, oh, I know what that is. That's Anthem. It could be any number of, of post-apocalyptic, lush world fantasy games. Um, you know, it's funny uh, you said, so destiny, I was watching yeah. the tr- the teaser trailer for it, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's the, the voiceover mm-hmm. and the lady saying, in this world, you either live with your decisions. And I'm sitting here, like, just eating some Doritos and I go, <laughs> or you die trying to change them. And she goes, or you die trying to change them. And I'm like, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's really the only way that and, sentence could have really, ended. And really, you should have just looked at your, your orange fingertips and been like, oh, God, what am I doing to myself? <laughs> I've got the bad bod. Orange fingertips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I can either go upstairs and wash them or I can no. die trying to. <laughs> right. no. I wanted you to imagine that orange dust in your system clogging your veins. Well, I, I need that. To, to, the orange dust fights all the other terrible oh, things see, that are in I my see. system. It's the spice. They work together. It's a spice melange. They bind it all together. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're like the Baron Harkonnen over there in, in uh, Ohio. That's right. Yeah, Anthem. Uh, I mean, it seemed interesting. I, I, I will always play two types of games. Uh-huh. One where you have psychic powers, always uh-huh. guaranteed. Uh-huh. Telepathy. That's my jam. Uh, <laughs> and uh, jump packs. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, always. Farah and Overwatch. Light assault and planets. I do. You give me a jetpack. Yeah, I am just right. all over it. And, and um, that's what the tribes reference for you is like. Yeah, it's like can fly around and tackle the environment in any number that's of right ways. yeah skate yeah. ski on the environment yeah just yeah. oh yeah super fun so uh i will play it i will enjoy it uh i like jetpacks titanfall just all of it and so if they if you ever want to like just just get me to have a complete brain implosion build a game where you have tele or telekinesis <laughs> and uh jump packs okay great I, and now i will list. just I'll just go nuts because okay. that that would be my jam really hard there. Okay, so <laughs> that's your wish fulfillment. You wish you could that's, move things right. with your mind and fly through the air. Yeah, some telepathy, <laughs> some telekinesis, maybe, yeah. and jump packs. Okay. And what what more could you possibly yeah. want? Fair enough. Fair enough. I was. Uh, did you did you read about the new Call of Duty at all? Oh, uh, World War Two. You mean? Yes. I watched the teaser trailer. I did not read any. Pre like, I did not read any articles that talked about what it felt to play it. Uh, did as I'm assuming that's what you were 
referring to. Yeah, well, I mean, it, so basically just the, the kind of the concept and, and how much is being leveraged on it, right? So so yeah. Call of Duty is probably the quintessential shooter game at this mm-hmm. point. Like like anytime anyone's making fun of shooters, they say mm-hmm. Call of Duty. Anytime anyone's talking about shooters, mm-hmm. anytime someone comes up to me on the street like, oh, you're in video games? My son loves Call of Duty. Just every time. Yeah, like just right. Call of Duty is like the mm-hmm. quintessential game. Yeah. And so, you know, they're it's getting up there in age a bit and they're mm-hmm. trying to sort of reimagine the brand right there's mm-hmm. renew it refresh it right and uh i remember the first call of duty i played that and i was just blown away mm-hmm. just how well it captured like just war and just yeah. like this was terrifying and just mortar you know just so this was particularly exciting to me right mm-hmm. um you know just a, a game that really kind of coming back to that right mm-hmm. because call of duty is you know, really kind of straight away from that to just be this, you know, everyone bunny hopping, shooting, yeah, whatever, right? right? And uh, so what I've been reading is that, you know, it's 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 really nothing special, right? It's – they haven't really been able to do – obviously do World War II justice. It seems mm-hmm. silly, right? Because World War II is such a horrific event. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that it was like, yeah, it's just – it's still just Call of Duty. And, you know, a lot of the analysis around that is that – Call of Duty can't ever be that again because they can't take risks, mm-hmm. right? The sales they have to make uh, prevents them from being a company that can do this, right? They, uh, they're they bound, right? They can't make risky decisions. They can't, uh, they can't really do what they need to do to reinvent the brand and be visceral because they still need to hit sales targets that are exceedingly high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's kind of – Interesting, but also maybe a little sad that there's a company that maybe wants to do this, but they've become too big for their own good and know that now they can't anymore. Right. It's harder to take a a creative risk that might alienate a significant portion of the player base. So therefore, we have to maintain um, something that's familiar that everyone will agree like, oh, it doesn't offend me. But then you get this like, well, but it doesn't excite me either. Which is sad, considering the subject matter is not some theoretical or some fantasy um, thing. It's a, it's a, you know uh, something that just within uh, a couple of generations ago would like completely transform the world that we live in, and mm-hmm. it, you know tens of millions of people uh, ended, and yet people that we would call granddad, or you and I, maybe maybe not some some people, but. Like definitely my, my grandfather was of that era, but he was mm-hmm. in China. Um, yeah. Like they had to like, they had to like say like, oh, well, I guess I'm an 18 year old idiot who is going to do what the government tells me to do and potentially die for the freedom of people that I'll never meet and don't understand. And yet they did it. And so I think it's a, it's a, wow, what a story. And so it's a shame that it might, that that the game mechanics are maybe going to overshadow the importance of being able to viscerally experience the kind of sacrifices that people have made in the past and be like, wow, that mm-hmm. gave me insight. It sounds silly to talk about a shooter with that much gravity, but I think 
why not? Like, uh, I don't think there's any genre be? besides a shooter that yeah, could really have yeah. that much gravity. Right. You yeah. yourself being there, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the first time, the first time I played the first Call of Duty, man, it was just like, wow, I'd yeah. never seen it like this. Yeah. This was, right. you know, and I, I was in the army at the time, and yeah. I was at war at the time, and <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is intense. Yeah, and, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I remember. For me, it was a different game. Actually, it was. Um, I think maybe it was Relic. They made what was their their World War II series of RTS? Medal of Honor? No, not Medal of Honor. That's a first person shooter too. Um, oh, the World RTS. It's um, uh, oh my god, I can't believe a something if uh, not Call of Duty Company of Heroes Company of Heroes Company of Heroes. Yeah. Holy shit! The storming of the beach of uh, that mission. So I mean, maybe I'll. Uh, get the steam code for that one it's been a while since i've played that game but it's like just to realize uh to beat this mission you just keep sending bodies up the beach mm-hmm. yeah it's it's all it is is you're sending bodies up the beach and then they that's how battlefield 1942 yeah. was yeah. right so like, you had your ticket counters shit. and you yeah. just had to yeah and it's like that's it's a numbers game of just like just pushing mass but these Bullets are real, versus yeah, bodies. Yeah, and these, but these are real people. And it just really struck you as like how awful that decision was to, to make that. But so um, I know that people dismiss, especially war games as being violent or um, thoughtless entertainment. But um, and at least that it sounds like you and I both had experiences that for me, uh, you know, as growing up as a kid, you're drawing your, your, your knights and dragons and your, you know, cowboys and Indians and all that kind of stuff. And you, you kind of have this fun fantasy of it's like a game. It's like playing football or something. But that mm-hmm. when I was like, actually, that must have been pretty terrible. Like I wouldn't. And then, you know, my attitude towards violence uh, or at least the thought of warfare as a hobby or as a student of history uh, shifted. And so that's something I give credit to games. Anyways, absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean movie captures the stuff to some way but when you have the agency yeah, you're the one yeah, making the yep, decisions yep. and stuff like that it i mean it's it's easy to get into this mindset where party and just shoot everybody and whatever but you know if you think about it if you if you stop for just a second and really think about the game and really the great games make you do this, right? So it's it's a lot about the storytelling and, and the, the great games that really emphasize that to you. The responsibility isn't all on yourself. Um, they can really teach you a lot about that subject matter and the importance of it and stuff like that. So, you know, hearing about Call of Duty World War II and you're like, oh, right, right? Mm-hmm. Not just call of duty bro right yeah. like oh right this would be you know i don't have anything against call of duty i still play them it's a fun game but i think you know they've they've lost the impact of the narrative mm-hmm. in in uh forsook that for the, the more esports style of gameplay which yeah. whatever fine uh but uh here in you know that this was going to come out and then maybe just after e3 hearing people talking about it and saying you know actually it's still just kind of call of duty mm-hmm. and it's like ah all right, right. well that sucks. Right. And I, and I've saw a lot of announcements, like things I just completely glossed over. Okay. They announced this, they announced that. And then it's like, Oh, doom and VR. Okay. But announced it. Like, it's just a lot of it's like, Oh, it's another one of those, um, mm-hmm. a similar experience that you had when you saw, uh, or you releases remakes. Yeah. 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 I, you know, really it touches on a point that I wanted to make, which is, I believe we have reached what, um, I might call the cronut age of gaming, meaning, uh, where it's about repackaging old IP or combining two um, existing Mash-ups. brands. Yeah, uh, you saw it a lot, uh, and specifically with Nintendo. 
Because Nintendo, mm-hmm. interestingly, they realize that E3 is not exactly the best platform for them to have a keynote presentation and have a really big floor presence or anything like that. So they do a Nintendo Direct video that coincides with the E3 timeframe, but you just watch it online. And then they partner with people, uh, this year at least, they partnered with people who were uh, announcing new projects or showing things at E3 but then they would have like a tie-in with Nintendo. And so that's how Nintendo would present themselves, but they didn't specifically have like a Nintendo presence. So which like, is a very safe way of doing it. Yeah, they did like Mario and the Braving Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which I think is going to be the game you and I play, right? It's XCOM matchup, but with Mario and Ubisoft Raving Rabbids. Wait, it sounds wait, perfect. What game is this? Mario. Oh, wait, Mario I know the, Mario Raving Rabbids, but I haven't seen the gameplay. You're saying it's what type of game? It's X, It's like... It's XCOM style gameplay. That's what I've been led to All believe. All right, my keyboard's gonna be loud here for a <laughs> yeah. second. It's XCOM style. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. So I had perfect. heard of the game yeah. and I thought, okay, whatever. But I haven't bothered to look at it. Okay. And what is this? <laughs> I think that's the one. Right. That's those. That's the peanut butter and chocolate for you and I. That's gonna. Um, become our biggest <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm gonna be all over this. <laughs> so you're not gonna sell your switch after all. You're gonna keep it just so you can. Get some I uh, I did I did decide to keep it. So okay. for for anyone who doesn't know, like so I got the switch just to play Zelda. That's what I always do. I buy the Nintendo console, play Zelda, then sell it. Um, and I was going to keep it because they said there was going to be DLC. So I mm-hmm. thought, all right, fine. But uh, then I realized they're releasing the. Um, uh, the, the Pokemon tournament game. I don't remember game that it, it's called, but uh, it's the the console Pokemon game they always release, which is like a fighting tournament style game. And so I thought, okay, I'll keep the Switch for that. But uh, but yeah, the, watching this here, I think uh, this will be a fun little addition as well. They also announced uh, like Mario Odyssey, but um, that's actually beside the the point that I wanted to make. So so you got Mario with the uh, Ubisoft, right? Because the mm-hmm. Rabbids in Ubisoft. Um, I think I think they also said um, uh, Mario is uh, going to be in Minecraft with Microsoft. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, or Talk about diversifying. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, hell, there's Mario content or Nintendo content in Skyrim. So Bethesda and Nintendo are doing a thing. What? Yeah. Look it up, dude. It's all this weird, <laughs> like, you know how, like, you can get Doritos flavored pizza crusts at Domino's or some shit like well, that, right? Yeah. That's Talk what's about. happening. So this is the Cronet age of gaming where uh, it's not about inventing a new cookie. It's about taking an existing cookie and repackaging it in a different form factor. Like now we have Oreo thins as opposed to Oreo double stuff or Oreos. But it's like, isn't it really still the same thing? Yeah, but it's repackaged. And, so, uh, yeah, I have to uh, I have to confess, I generally don't watch any of the Nintendo announcements. Okay. Because I, I just generally don't care. Uh, <laughs> you just like, want unless Zelda. It, you I just mean, want unless Zelda. like the next day someone's like, oh, did you see there was a Legend of Zelda announcement? Uh-huh. Then I'm yeah. all over it, right? Uh-huh. But, yeah. but otherwise, Mario, nothing, whatever. So yeah, I missed, dude, Mario and Skyrim, I would have to check this out. But this and the Raven Rabbits I heard about, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Because right. you wouldn't um, have, you would not have read, like if you watched that Nintendo Direct video, I don't think they mention, not to my memory, do they mention Mario and Skyrim. It's like the Bethesda's presentation Mar- mentioned Nintendo's tie-in with Skyrim and all that stuff. How do they make that even work? Like is <laughs> Bowser one of the dragons? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he should be a designer because that sounds amazing. <laughs> that does sound pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, Skyrim. I started playing that again, um, which is funny. So I, I downloaded it. Uh, I, I bought it for the fifth or sixth time because um, I wanted the HD remaster uh, for Xbox One okay. and because I'm I'm just a schmuck. And, uh, and I started playing it. And I'm like, oh, my kids will, will play it together and they'll watch, like, me adventure around uh-huh. and fight dragons. But <laughs> I forgot about, like, all the decapitations and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I well, I can't play this in front of my kids. <laughs> right. Like, man, yeah. all right. Yeah. Like, just all the really violent parts right. of it I had forgotten right. completely about. So, oh, well, live and learn. So yeah. I'll buy it for a seventh time when they HDD remake it or whatever <laughs> right. it is. Right. Or a demake it so that it doesn't include violence. Or yeah, or there's a pixel or a pixel version of it, right? Oh, on your oh mobile but phone. you're saying by the time that it's a super super HD remake, your kids will be of age to watch exactly. the decapitation. Exactly. <laughs> yes, the ultra HD version or whatever. Right. Any other games catch your eye? Um, well, uh, on the new IP front, uh, I was looking basically at the at the trends, and not all of these necessarily caught my eye and got me totally excited, but one that that charmed me and I thought was going to be pretty cool just because it's like right up my alley. Like it, you know, you remember some of my prototypes in, in unity and mm-hmm. stuff, but mm-hmm. it has a very indie uh, artsy game name. It's the artful escape of Francis Vendetti. Mm-hmm. I think it's for Xbox one X or Xbox one. Um, let me, let me see who's the developer. It's uh Oh, Beethoven and dinosaur. Um, so indie group um it's a musical side scrolling adventure and by musical i mean like um 70s 80 rock like um, nice yeah like uh so uh, sort of like what was a heavy metal um heavy metal was, it, yeah. was that the game that tim schaefer's they called it was it called heavy metal no no, no it was uh um not rock of legends legend i have it let me okay. let me see here um heavy metal was the animated like the cartoon that's right that's right it used Uh, to be a magazine too or maybe it still is i have to look i've got my huge library in front of me now (laughs) i'm just gonna (laughs) find it in here somewhere it's ridiculous uh but anyway yes the uh i'll I'll tell you here in a second when we find it but there's something legends or metal or legend brutal legend that's brutal legends yeah i knew it had the umlaut in there (laughs) that's right brutal legends yeah Yeah, with jack black voice the uh uh, the main character yeah 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 but this is a side scroller puppet game like looks like um i mean it looks like the perfect demo case for like this is what you could do in unity with just two weeks of not not saying that they did it in two weeks but i'm saying it's got that traditional kind of paper puppet but in a 3d Mm. world it's two and a half d it's super charming um and uh so that's the that's one that i thought was oh it's a new ip it's uh, by a smaller group but it's very inventive and artistic i don't can't say that the gameplay looks all that uh, intense or unique but um it looked uh cool there were two pirate games that i thought were is like interesting that like oh suddenly we have a glut of you know uh, piracy on the high seas we have um ubisoft uh skull and bones mm-hmm. which is basically um, which is a remake oh is it oh yeah skull and not... bones for the sega I believe oh it was. so then it's not a so are you saying it's not a new ip then i mean I at this skull point and... it's probably a new ip just because it's so far removed from how it originally was uh, I might buy that argument that it, it's that's like saying um, it's know. called Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones. Yeah, I don't know. That would still count to me as a reboot than it more than a a new IP. But then well, let's um, see. Basically, it's like uh, Assassin's Creeds without the Assassin's Creed in it. 
Um, oh, okay. And then the new Assassin's Creed is in Egypt. Yeah. And you have like slightly magical powers. Mm-hmm. But I call, I'm calling out Skull and Bones because it seems like it's a new uh, IP. Uh, new characters, new storyline. But then Rare, Microsoft's Rare Studio, is also coming out with a pirate game called Sea of Thieves, which is a lot more cartoony. It's almost as if um, LucasArts' Secret of Monkey Island had continued to evolve its, and become, um, you know, like an open-world adventure game kind of feel, like lots of, well, an intention of humor. Um, unfortunately, the footage I saw, the narrator was the funniest thing, and the narrator is someone who's walking you through the the video not an actual mm. part of the gameplay so that one i'm on the fence about but then the other well, you know two, what happened what happened we oh. did our episode about the pirates game and all these game developers <laughs> yes, were like right. oh man yeah. pirates okay are pirates are yeah. it yeah yep yeah. yeah. okay i'm then, telling you right now so, so it's it's so it is not a reboot the original game i was thinking it was called skull and crossbones oh, which right. uh, was developed by tengen and atari atari okay. games okay. uh in 89 okay so right. yes yeah. not and a uh, reboot uh it's interesting i wonder if they had any kerfuffle over like skull and bones is too close to our ip of skull and crossbones i or, doubt it yeah. I, that game is so i mean <laughs> it's almost 30 it's almost 30 years old. Yeah, okay. It is 30 years old because okay. it was developed in 1987. Okay. So it's it's beyond the statute okay. on that one. Okay. Um, and then two, I want to say, um, legal or prison-themed uh, games. There's Crackdown. Come- oh, you know what? Actually, I well, that's not new IP. That is – it's Crackdown 3. Oh, you're that's talking about super- new IPs only. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so yep. Sony is through their super massive studios coming up with a – this in, for me, this is the one that's the most new IP <laughs> of all the games mm-hmm. because it uh, it also it tries to um, take a control scheme or input method that we are familiar with through a completely different genre of game and bring it into a uh, kind of like horror context. Uh, so okay. this game's, the game's called Hidden Agenda, and you have these. I think they're custom controllers. They look like smartphones. But did, did you ever play? Um, you don't know Jack on yep. PC or console, you know, how you like you, you get the app on your phone. And so then you use it as an input thing and you can vote on the answers right there. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it's sort of like that, that you're watching now it's not pre-rendered video. I mean, it's not um, full motion video, but it's photorealistic 3d rendering of characters in this drama. And you're um, you and your buddies are voting on what you think should happen next in the game. Um, so it's almost like an interactive story. Interestingly, I think Netflix is starting to experiment with interactive stories as well. That where you kind of wouldn't surprise you. Yeah, Choose your own but, adventures, man. Yeah, it's just a reboot, yeah. right? So it's <laughs> it's uh, as a game where you are you know conversing with your friends, but then you also on this app have um, well, why they call it hidden agenda. It's like you don't know what the characters are really up to and why they're saying what you're saying, but you're gonna it's like, well, I think this is might what happened, so I'm gonna give my vote this way. But then you have access to information and so each person potentially might have a hidden agenda or something i'm inferring uh, i'm not sure so exactly. it's got multiple meanings yeah it's multiple meanings so it's like but it's supposed to be like this kind of like horror kind of experience so that that looked kind of interesting and then another uh, but that's about a criminal he's in prison but you're, you're playing a lawyer and, or a detective or something you're trying to figure things out and then um the guys who made the game Brothers, you know, like where you had to control mm-hmm. two characters uh, simultaneously, they're kind of following that up with a prison breakout game called A Way Out. Um, so it's uh, 
Axel Light Studios for, uh, for EA. Um, so it just it's interesting to me. We got two pirate games, which are about like looking back at the the golden era of piracy in different ways, and someone and people looking at crime and prisons in a couple of different ways. And then you also have um, fantasy uh, games, or like whether it's the Artful Escape or Anthem. I'm not seeing a lot of lifestyle aspirational games like, oh, I'm going to be this amazing person who's going to acquire through my career or my exploits like a fortune or anything like that, which, uh, you know, which maybe were, were popular 10 years ago. It's like we're really at a point The tycoon where, games. Yeah, we're not we're not looking for that anymore. We're looking at like the society is ugly and you know, <laughs> why why create new stories when society is already so messed up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And or let's look backwards or let's what if the world had to be remade and it was all um overgrown and and full of a frontier again, but it's and just we had a few jump strategy. packs. Yeah, and we had jump packs. Uh, it's just <laughs> just interesting take on where we are as a as a gaming culture right now yeah if uh the neanderthals had jump packs man the homo sapiens just w- or homo sapiens would not have made it no. so i tell you what uh, <laughs> and, and uh, rumor yeah. has it they had lighter bones no I, so yeah they definitely could have gotten higher altitudes that would have <laughs> had some sick jumps <laughs> yeah sick jumps damn it he's so thick-limbed how is he able to rails? jump so high because they've got hollow bones uh I just oh man, in my head right now I'm just seeing like Tony Hulk. Uh just this this Neanderthal <laughs> yeah. doing like a sick yeah. bone grind on a rail with the jump pack. Yeah, that would be a pretty good forest game. environment. Yeah. Kind of a mixture of skater die yeah. and uh and uh who are the was the caveman game? The um not Bonk the Caveman but Oh yeah, uh, I know BC's big BC's adventure and then oh I know what you uh Kronk or Kronk. Yeah, something Kronk, like that. Yeah. I, I can't quite yeah. remember. But uh eh, anyway. So yeah, E3 Summarize your feelings uh, just all together. One final statement because we're kind of running out of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, E3, uh, clear evidence that we are in the cronut age of gaming. That's, that was very uh, poetic. <laughs> yeah, How about yourself? Uh, good. Nothing? Uh, um, E3, uh, games and stuff. A <laughs> 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 lot less poetic. Well, I don't know. you sound like it, a retailer. Like, hi, I'm Mike Geig of games and stuff. Games Can I get an exclusive stuff. peek at your game? Sure. Come on in. Uh, no, I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, no, I'm part of the press. I write for games and stuff. Uh, I have a uh, uh, hundred viewers. <laughs> press, press pass. It's uh, no, I mean, it's, um, I, nothing about this E3 stood out to me more than any of the previous E3s. I don't know if that's good or bad. It just is. It just was E3, you know? And so, you know, I, you see these trends, I guess. So, hmm. uh, yeah, I'll be interested. I'm always more interested, not in E3, but in six months after E3. That's okay. when I find it's okay. interesting. You should put a reminder for yourself that our episode six months from now should be a look back at what the uh what is what actually system. happened yeah. what panned out yep. what things uh weren't the way we thought they were that's what was always interesting because people are going to sell you they're going to tell you this great mm-hmm. marketing thing mm-hmm. it's the reality of it that i find intriguing so yeah. uh yeah we'll circle back around okay uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it then okay but uh Cool. Well, that Sounds was good. our E3 episode of Mike's Video Game Podcast, episode 22, the palindromic episode. Yeah, episode 2-2, uh, which is two sequels of two. That's the way I'm going to look at it. 
and you can't convince me otherwise. Fair enough. Uh, I'm Mike Egg. And I'm Mike Wu. And this has been the sequel episode. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that was terrible. Worst podcast ever. Good stuff. All right. Let me stop.